0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 20 this morning. Proverbs 20. Last week we went uh, shopping in verse 14, and uh, we're going to pick up there and move on to verses 15, 16, 17, 18. We'll see how far we get here this morning. They're pretty easy verses, they practically preach themselves, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll see it for what it is and then again humble ourselves before God and His wisdom. Before we do get started though, we'll take a moment for silent prayer to uh, make sure we're in fellowship, to humble ourselves, to receive instruction. Shall we pray? And my Father, we do come before You, thankful for Your faithfulness, rejoicing in the truth of Your Word, and Father, just humbled before Your grace, before the wisdom of our Scriptures, we thank You for the Bible, Father. It was written thousands of years ago, and yet it's alive and powerful today, uh, just as fresh and and living as ever, Father. And we uh, we read from it, we humble ourselves before it, we receive instruction, and and Father, we're nourished. This. Uh, this truth is uh, is what feeds us and nourishes our souls. So we call upon your faithfulness once again today that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and humble our hearts. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh picking up where we were dealing with, um you'll notice I've got the Bible up and running already. Verse thirteen, when we were talking about um sleeping, it's said it's a good thing. We need sleep, but too much of it is a problem if and particularly if we're uh, slugs, if we're sluggards and not not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so uh, we looked at the principles there and then we moved on to verse 14, bad, bad says the buyer, but when he goes away then he boasts. And it's, it's curious to me when you read the commentaries most of them are pretty uh, ugly or pretty uh, harsh towards this person uh, as if somehow he's a liar or somehow he's a, a schemer or he's manipulating things. and uh, And really, uh, As we shared last week, we can look at this in in different ways and and maybe be more charitable towards the buyer. It's not uh, necessarily uh, dishonesty, It's just uh, 13 in the outline. It's not necessary. You don't have to read dishonesty into it. You could simply read it at face value and see that any buyer is going to be saying bad, bad, while any seller is going to be saying good, good, that these are the back and forth negotiations that take place the give and take, the negotiated give and take between two parties in a free exchange. And so uh, the reason why it's repeated is because you're going through one and then two uh, multiple uh, bargaining uh, stages until you agree to a price and then you walk away from the deal. And yes, this verse is entirely focused on the buyer. Uh, We could rewrite it if we needed to to uh, reflect the seller who is going to be saying uh, good, good, says the seller, and then after they part ways he too is going to be boasting. He too is going to be giving God the, the, the praise and the glory uh, in the uh, the purchase that was made. So during the trade encounters the buyer prefers a lower price and the seller prefers a higher price. That's, that's universal. That's in any, any uh, 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 free exchange uh, circumstance. And Scripture repeats this uh, and demonstrates this, illustrates it in a variety of ways. We discussed uh, Genesis 23, Genesis 31, uh, Numbers 22, different uh, illustrations. I'm sure you can find many, many more. After the trade encounter, the buyer and the seller can praise God for their increase. And the, uh, the verb for boasting is also a verb for praising. It's a verb for uh, worship. It's a, a verb where we get hallelujah, where we are halal, we are celebrating, we are praising God for, uh, for His grace and uh, And this is what it is sometimes um, too we we have to make decisions ourselves, and we have discussions about where do you spend your money or or uh so forth and 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 different Christians will have preferred marketplaces or preferred uh, uh things such as that and and I recognize that um, depending on your politics or depending on your philosophical outlook, you may choose to avoid certain places or you may choose not to. And, uh, and regardless of whatever you think about a a, a a company or a founder of a company or, or uh, what their personal views are and so forth, um, you know, I can kind of set those things aside. If I'm getting the cheapest price, I'm happy to have the cheapest price. And so, uh, so I buy a lot of things at Amazon and they ship it to my house and it shows up on my porch. And As an Amazon Prime member I get the free shipping. Not really free because you pay the annual fee but uh but i buy so much stuff every year anyway that uh you know it's worth it to me to get the free deliveries and have it on my door and have it uh, the next day so yes i spend a lot of money at amazon.com and if that means that that jeff bezos is a rich guy well you know honestly he's going to be a rich guy anyway whether i throw some some chuckles at him or not and and i just like i enjoy having the cheaper price so i get the products and i pay the cheaper price and i praise god for his grace and if uh if uh, if somebody else prefers to spend a little bit more to direct their money towards um, I don't know, Christian book distributors or, or some other source of books and whatnot, fine. Spend your money where you want to spend your money, and I'm not telling you you're, you're wrong or you shouldn't or you can't. Whatever your convictions are, God love you. You know, uh, spend your money and, and do what you're doing. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's a different issue there, but. We we can walk away from an encounter, and I can be thankful that uh, because uh, uh, God and His grace allowed us to live in such a land of, of wealth and prosperity that there is all kinds of merchants out there that we can spend our money with in uh, in different ways. Maybe Amazon was the wrong example. Maybe we should talk about coffee and uh, and uh, you know if, if you big on Starbucks or not big on Starbucks or you have competitors that you prefer or or whatnot. God bless you. Whatever you're going to do, spend your money where you're going to spend your money. We have liberty, we have freedom in Christ, and this is uh, what it's about. Alright, so we we give and take and that's what the bad, bad is all about. And then we praise when it is complete. And, and understand too, and I think um, connected to this, you know the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. And that's Uh, although we we, we do, we're functioning in in the world's economy and this world stage is what it is, we want to have humility before the Lord in all that we do, in in recognizing these things. All right. now did we look at this slide already? I don't remember. I meant to look that, did we stop before we got to this? Let's look at some of these verses and see. Because this is the world's age, maybe we didn't talk about this last week, let's pick up here. Seems to me like all we did was the A part and the B part, so let's pick up here. The world's business takes place in this world's age. We've got to recognize that. that We live in a fallen world, and there's cheats out there, and, 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 uh, and even if we find a local seller that we like, uh, and we want to support them, well, they are connected to the whole rest of the, of the thing. Who, who are they banking with? Who are their associations connected with? And, uh, and so forth. Let's pick up here. Matthew 10, 16 because I don't recall speaking about this a week ago. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Behold I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. As we do our business dealings and as we bargain and as we're buying cars and buying groceries and buying books and whatever we're doing, as we're contracting with different people. Uh, We don't want to get ripped off. Who wants to get ripped off? Nobody does. But as Christians we also recognize that uh, there are some underhanded and unsavory folks that are out there and so all we can do is um, ask the Lord to open our eyes and, and, uh, and, and conduct ourselves with discernment, conduct ourselves with wisdom, and then within the boundaries of what we can do, you know, we just have to walk by faith and trust the Lord otherwise and say, alright Lord, here we go. And uh, we've done our due diligence, we've looked into certain things, um, I believe this is uh, this is what you would have for me to do. You know, I think this is a, a car mechanic I can trust. I think this is a, 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 a an AC guy that I can trust. And anyway, I, I'm going to thank the Lord. You put this person in my life, and and uh, and so, for example, we moved to a neighborhood, and uh, there was a local automotive mechanic shop there. And I was thinking, hey, maybe that's why I should take my car since we live here now instead of the old neighborhood. And, uh, and And then, when I walk in, there's scripture on the wall and, uh, and uh, he's got Christian literature in the in the waiting room, and I start talking to the to the owner and find out that he's a deacon at, at, his, at his church, right and uh, one of the big Bible churches here in town. and so uh, I thought, hey, this seems to me be, to be, to be God's provision. I thank the Lord for it, and uh, you know I trust he's not ripping me off, <laughs> you know uh, He tells me I need a a uh, you know a, a nine volt thingamabob well okay you know and and I'm as ignorant on cars as anybody out there and he could sell me something that my car doesn't even have and I wouldn't know it and uh, I might find out later that uh, that, that my car doesn't have a, a nine volt thingamabob but you know I'm trusting that the Lord has brought me this is what I'm trying to say that as we are, are uh, shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves we don't turn into serpents. And we 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 uh, at a certain point we're just walking by faith and trusting the Lord in our innocence. He's taking care of us, and uh, and we can thank thank Him for that. All right, so we have a principle there in Matthew ten, and verse sixteen. We also have Luke sixteen, and some of these verses too. Don't do that. That was Control L, not Control G. Luke sixteen and verse eight. This parable gives some people fits and we taught it in the Life of Christ series and it's, it raises some eyebrows and you have to wonder because this, this servant kind of seemed like he was ripping off his master just as he was on his way to getting fired. And, uh, and he, was, he was writing down uh, marking down the outstanding uh, debts and all this stuff. But Jesus praised him. This is listed as a positive example for, for how we live in this age. And his master praised the unrighteous manager. And when you back up a little bit and you see this this guy, he's unrighteous. and, And he's about to get fired. He's been ripping off his manager. Remember this? There was a rich man who had a manager and his manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. That's the report. And he called him and said, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, kind of interesting. He doesn't have an answer for the, the, the master yet. But he's thinking to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. And so he comes up with a plan. And his plan basically is to uh, kind of prepare for what comes next. Where is he going to land? He's trying to obtain a parachute so that he can at least land softly somewhere. And uh, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. And you realize what you're suited for, what you're not suited for, and he's in he's in some trouble, so I know what I shall do when I am removed from the management. People will welcome me into their home, so he's going to start to nurture some positive relationships with future clients that he's hoping to to score uh, on this basis. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors and began to say to the first, "How much do you owe my master?" and he said a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And so this seems to be just a 50% markdown, just a, a slash, like a fire sale. And there's probably more, there's definitely more that we don't have recorded in this text that, that maybe we want to learn about, uh, but it's not necessary. If, if it was necessary to know more then God would have told us more. This is all we're told. I have a suspicion that the number was not actually a hundred. That the, the steward knew what the real number was, but he requested the other guy to tell him the number. And um, whether that was the true number or not, we have no way to know in any event. So he said, we're going to give it here free and clear for 50. And he's going to get 50. And we just think, man, this, the, the the master... He just totally got ripped off. We think he's going to be upset when he hears this. He's not upset. When all of this is said and done, the master is actually well pleased with the work that this servant did to, to make, you know, to cut the losses and to, to get what he could get at the very least in, uh, in this way. So he says to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write Eighty. And the markdown is less, and whether that's because that's all the guy could pay, or that's because that's the difference between oil and wheat, who knows? Okay. But here's the thing: his master praised the unrighteous manager. So when all of this was finished, the master was happy, and uh, you know he was happy with uh, the 180, whatever you know, the you know, 80 plus 50. So he was he was happy with 130 pleased, very well pleased with 130. Even though he was owed 200 he ends up with 130. But here's why. He said because he acted shrewdly. It was a good deal. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now that's a concept that we, that we, ha- we can't deny we have to realize. That because we're born again believers in Jesus Christ, we are the sons of light. We are not the sons of this age. We used to be. And so now that we're born again, we have a whole new thought process, we have a whole new uh, innocent approach to things because, because of, of the nature of who we are in Christ. And so that that kind of thinking that, uh, that the unrighteous steward as he's dealing with his own kind, so to speak, um, that's that's a reality for what it is. And so then Jesus goes on to say, and I say to you so there's what the master said, the master was pleased in verse 8 but then Jesus, I say to you make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That this world's way of thinking, this world's way of doing business, this world's way of operating, that we're still pilgrims and strangers, we're still aliens, we live in this fallen world. And in those terms we can be on good relationships with these unbelievers so that when it fails, in other words when their God lets them down, <laughs> when see, we, we, we live in this world and we're having these business dealings but that's not our God. It's not going to fail us because our faith is in the Lord when it fails. And, and we're living in a day and age right here and right now where it's all around us. Because we're living in, in, with coronavirus, we're living with the economy, we're living with politics, we're living and there's a whole lot of people out there whose God, whose faith is in, it's not in God we trust, it's in government we trust. Or it's in whatever. It's in the stock market, it's in the economy, it's in whatever. And so when they're faced with those kind of disappointments what do we have the opportunity to do? We can talk about the eternal dwelling. We have an opportunity to say, you know what, 10,000 years from now, what difference will it make? And we can get them to, we can at least spark a discussion on eternal life values. As Jesus says in verse 9, when it fails they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And uh, wouldn't that be something if at the end of the day their devastated, um, I, you know, the, the the crash and burn of their secular worldview results in gospel hearing and, and, uh, and, and the, the positive response to eternal life. So we get to spend eternity with them. What a, what a joy is that? What a joy is that? They will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And you can think about that when we're fellowshipping with one another for all eternity and all their testimony is, man, I'm sure glad you gave me the gospel. <laughs> back when, back when my idolatry was letting me down, and you gave me the gospel, and we get to tell those stories for forever. What a joy that's going to be! And then, uh, Luke nineteen and verse eleven, parable of money usage, verses eleven through twenty-seven. While they were listening to these things Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. You know all of his followers had all these ideas of what's going to happen next and uh, usually they were wrong. So he said a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. So he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. Do business with this. And so we realize that one of the functions of, of cash, one of the functions of money, is to invest and to produce and to to uh, to uh, to observe growth, to observe profit, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him. And it's useful when you're when you're going through this parable to keep the keep the characters straight because the citizens is a, is a different crowd from the uh, from the slaves. His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we do not want this man to reign uh, to reign over us. And that delegation after him is the, the role of the servants, or I mean sorry, the role of the citizens attempting to dissuade the servants from doing the business they should have been doing. Anyway, when he returned after receiving the kingdom he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money, be called to him that he might know what business they had done. So they have to report the business that they had done with the manas that he had had, uh, given them. And notice they were all given the same, the same manas. So the first appeared to him saying, Master, your manas has made ten manas more. This is what happens. You take and you invest and you work and you purchase and you sell and uh, over time, if you're diligent in what you're doing, then uh, You're going to have more than the one you started with, right? If all you have is the one you started with, what were you doing that whole time? And so this first guy made ten manas more. Then he called to him, well done, good slave. You have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. Now this is a parable, and this is uh, directed towards Israel, not the church, and so we're a little bit hesitant to uh, to try to draw our own applications here. Uh, We're not I think it's it's inappropriate to to say, well as church age believers we do reign with Christ, yes we do reign with Christ, but the idea of ten cities, five cities, you know, um, that's not exactly given to a church age application. This is still Israel receiving this parable. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I try to put a note of caution in there related to that. If, if you're already trying to chart out which cities you're hoping to score, um, just Quit doing that, all right? James and John were trying to score seating at the at the feasting table too. That's that was also wrong. So, um, you know, if you think you're going to get Austin or Seattle or you know Peoria, or whatever, you know, I'll be you know Hoboken, New Jersey, or whatever you think you're going to get, um, you know, I'll be happy with a phone booth on a street corner somewhere. That if whatever God wants to trust me with, then again, this parable is not directed towards the church. So we have got to be cautious. Okay, now the second guy. Your manah master has made five manahs. Now obviously, what does this represent? Both, both slaves were given the same, uh, the same funds right up front. Each received that single manah coin. That single, uh, they had an equal amount that they were given. And we can, we can recognize this, that even though different believers start with different amounts, They're going to be more or less productive depending on choices they make and and the effort they put in and and, uh, wisdom in in their application and and all the rest. In some cases it's just poor dumb luck, you know, and uh, that's just the way it goes. So well done, you're going to be over five cities. And then this last guy, master you can have your mana back, here you go. Um, here is your manah, which I kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you were an exacting man. And, and It's just, <laughs> you notice the guy with the excuses is the guy that didn't do anything, okay? And, and the guy with the ten, the guy with the five, the guy with the five wasn't making excuses for why he didn't do as much as the ten guy. He was just saying, here are your ten, it was your production, it's yours, You you invested, I worked it, and now the profits are yours. And uh, and that's what it's about. And he wasn't blaming anything for why he only produced five instead of ten. He wasn't and it's this third guy that's the the weasley guy, right? It's like the the rich man was the guy making excuses in Hades. And it's always the, the, the 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 worst one that's got the most amount to say. I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, you reap what you did not sow. That's the wrong excuse too. That's the wrong excuse. You were funded, you were given the the coin up front. That wasn't yours, that was his. And so when you feel like the the productivity from that should be yours, because you did the the sowing and the laying down, and you think that You're the one that should be reaping and taking up? Well, it's not your money. You're the hired laborer. He invested in you. didn't have to invest in you. He could have invested in somebody else. So when you think that that the, the produce of your labor should be yours, think again. Did you invest the startup fund? He's the one that risked his capital. It's a big deal. This is where um, the, the the labor theory of value is off track because it 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 completely dismisses the the uh, the the capital risk the the investment that uh, that was put into whatever endeavor this is we're talking about. All right. Well, he said to him, "By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. You know that I'm an exacting man, or did you know?" That I'm an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and we and reaping what I did not sow, then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest <laughs> well, problem is putting it in the bank means there's there's records right then well, where'd you get this manah whose money is this and and there's a there's a paper trail, plus again there's going to be interest that wouldn't be his either it would go to this this master. They said to the bystanders, take the manah away from him and give it to the one who has ten manas. So there's a, there's a reward for the most productive. And uh, they said to him, Master, he has ten manas already. So what? They, notice, they. These are the bystanders. And then I'm not impressed with the bystanders either, you know. But they seem to think it's not fair. Well what's fairness have to do with anything? It's his mana, and he just got ripped off. So he's going to uh, entrust it to the guy that's going to be productive. To everyone who has more shall be given; to him who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. See, he who does not have, why does he not have? Well, because he had and he squandered. Even what he does have shall be taken away. And for those who claim they don't have anything, or that they they they're disadvantaged, or or whatever, whatever, whatever. All of that is just excuse making. You have what God's given you. Are you faithful with where God has placed you, with who you are, where you are, what you have going on? All those circumstances are in God's control. And instead of whining about, comparing about who's better and who's worse and who has more and who has less, are you being faithful with what you have, with where you are, with with who He has called you to be? All right. And if you're not, then you're an enemy. These enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Ooh, you don't want to be there either. <laughs> so the citizens, the bystanders, the enemies, the different characters of this drama, they're important to keep straight. Alright. So in conducting business we've got to have humility, we've got to have grace, and we've got to realize that all that we are is by the grace of God. All that we do is by the grace of God. What He's expecting of us is is faithfulness. What He's expecting of us is to be obedient and humble before Him in all that we do. You notice He didn't yell at the guy who only made five. He was pleased because the the guy was productive and he did what he did to the best of his ability in the grace of God. Say, and so we, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're not going to be whining and weaseling and making excuses. We're just going to stand there, and whatever the reward he chooses to bestow is what he chooses to bestow. That's his business. That's his good pleasure. And all we can say is grace anyway. It's all by the grace of God. How about Leviticus? He said, I'm going to go to the Old Testament and find out. I'm going to do that, Control G, Leviticus 25. And, you know, it's curious to me. Humility before the Lord is always in order. And and, um, under Mosaic law, when we go go to Leviticus 25, we see here, um, they had had a circumstance called the Jubilee year. They would have uh, a year of freedom every seven years, a Sabbath year, and then after a Sabbath of Sabbaths, after seven cycles of seven, then the 50th year... Is is a jubilee year, and there's forgiveness of debts. There's restoration of land uh, allotments. There's there's restoration of things that had been lost previously, and um, you might suspect a carnal mind would try to gauge things and and maybe be a little underhanded and shady if that jubilee was coming up. Okay, and um, but here's what happens: if you make a sale, moreover, to your friend or buy from your friend's hand. You shall not wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your friend. He is to sell you according to the number of years of crops. In proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price. In proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price, for it is a number of crops he is selling you. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord your God. So don't manipulate things in your favor. Know them for what they are because God knows them for what they are. And He's already factored in the, uh, every, the, the Sabbath year every seven, the, the Jubilee year every 50. He's already factored that in so don't worry about it. Anyway, it's a curious text to me there in Leviticus 25 14-17. We also have James, James 4 13-16. We always have to have grace we always have to have wisdom. In all of our business dealings, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Slow down now, chief. You don't know. Just one day at a time, okay? And, and put your plan in place. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan. There's nothing wrong with that. So long as in all of your planning, you have the caveat, God's will be done, Right? Subject to change. That this is my intention. God judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And you give it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is my design. This is my plan. This is my intention. If if this is not your will, then overrule. Make your will known. Close this door. Because this is, this is what I intend to do. So um, what you should say is, if the Lord wills. He says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow and you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So let's just function as vapors and trust that God knows what He's doing. Instead you want to say, if the Lord wills we will live and also do this or that. So if the Lord wills. Say, Lord this is my plan, this is my investment, this is my career change, this is my move or whatever it is that, that I intend to do. Say, Lord here you have it. So for example, and I asked you guys to pray for this uh, In year after next I intend to do a Through the Bible series. And I'm starting to, to prep it and starting to, to, to uh, get the material together and start to chart out what 365 Bible classes would look like in a calendar year. And, uh, and how to cover the 1189 chapters and how to, on a week-by-week basis, how to schedule that and all these things. And um, prepping the, the, the written notes by adapting what we did 20 years ago. And, uh, but the Lord may not want that to happen. If He wants to shut that down, I'm telling Him, Lord, shut this down. I'll only do it if He wants me to do it. If He keeps the door open, and so far it seems to be open, then, uh, then there you have it. But, I, you know, if, if I get everything ready to go, and New Year's Eve, we're ready to go, and boom, it's uh, January 1st of 2022, 20, well, January 2nd will be a Sunday morning. Uh, if, <laughs> I've already looked at the calendar. January 1st is a Saturday. January 2nd is a Sunday. Uh, so we're going to start January 2nd and teach four times that day, two in the morning, two in the evening. But you know what? If all this is ready to go and then the rapture of the church happens, I'm great with that. Okay? I am rapture ready. I'm not going to complain or tell Jesus, hold on, I, I need one more year. No, if that trumpet sounds or whatever His plan is, whatever His plan is, for whatever we do, it's Lord willing, Lord willing. And rapture pending, of course, so you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil, and so you know, God's got his calendar, and and we're just living day by day, and uh, this is this is how we function, living in this fallen world, do we get cheated every now and then? we probably do. I'm sure we do. We get ripped off, yeah. And, and maybe, uh, and even maybe, a Christian businessman rips you off worse than the unbeliever ripped you off. Ever have that happen? That's heartbreaking. But hey, that says before the Lord as well, and uh, whatever else He chooses to do. All right. Now we get to scarcity. Very closely related to this. I'm glad that 14 and 15 are linked the way that they are. Scarcity. There is gold and an abundance of jewels. But the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. There is gold and abundance of jewels. I don't know about you, but yeah, I've got tons of gold, tons of jewels. I'm just rolling in it. Um, But in comparison, okay, this is curious. Because gold and jewels, we think about precious metals, we think about wealth, and this is keyed to uh, a fundamental principle of of existence the the laws of divine establishment. Scarcity is a determiner of value. the uh, The fact is, gold is worth more than grass, because anybody can go cut their yard and then save the grass clippings. and, and if if grass go you know could be sold for sixteen hundred dollars an ounce, um, we we'd, we'd all be billionaires, you know. But the fact is, is grass is worthless. No one's going to pay you for your grass because everybody has it. Um, but gold. Actually, gold's at an all-time high. It's more than sixteen hundred an ounce. I think it's eighteen hundred or something. And silver is up. And these precious metals. Anyway, you watch the the prices on these things, and scarcity does determine value. So, on a scale of what's more scarce and what's more prevalent, uh, solid Bible doctrine is is pretty rare, and that's always been the case. That's, we can't just say, "Well, that's just twenty first century American." Christianity, Solomon was writing this a thousand years before Christ. The lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. Because how many people are saturated with doctrine and able to give you divine viewpoint when you ask them for for spiritual wisdom? See? Obviously around here we we do better. (laughs) Present company excluded. I'm not preaching to any of you guys. But, uh, you know, just on the population of uh, you know, 800,000 people in the city limits of Austin or whatever, how many, uh, what percentage have divine viewpoint? Have God's wisdom on their lips? And uh, you know, is that more or less than, than uh, how many have gold and an abundance of jewels? I think a lot more people are accumulating the mammon of this world's wealth than are accumulating the uh, eternal wealth of God's Word. I don't think I'm a lunatic for estimating that, (laughs) my suspicion, based on what I see. All right, so scarcity is a determiner of value. There's two things. It's not the only determiner, by the way. It's not the only determiner. There's a flip side to the scarcity. What's the flip side? Demand. Supply is one side, demand is the other side. So something could be very scarce, But if nobody wants it, who cares? (laughs) If there's no demand for it, without a market for it, without demand for it, it's like, uh, you know, buggy whips. Buggy whips. Nobody's making buggy whips anymore. There's probably somebody, but but basically, you know, so buggy whips are are very scarce these days. There's a scarcity of buggy whips. But that's okay. Because there's also not a demand for buggy whips. And... uh, so scarcity is not the only determiner, there's also the demand. But when demand is high, if there's a market for something, if there's, a, if there's a demand for it, then based on that demand scarcity is going to be a determiner of value. It's going to drive the price. And price and value are not the same thing, but we, we, uh, we understand that. All right so scarcity um, there's a remarkable context here for first kings chapter 10 in verse 21 talking about how wealthy was solomon's economy and and if a nation if a person if uh, when you tra- well, i mean when you get to a certain degree of, of when you reach a tax bracket beyond anything that anybody else can even understand Then you have an economy of scale that's just off the off the charts, Um, and that's where Solomon was. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, right? That's 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 amazing. Okay, no uh, no Tupperware in his uh, in his kitchen uh, cabinet. Not even you know fine crystal or whatever else. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. Silver, yeah. The price of silver just plummeted to nothing because it wasn't compared. They had so much gold lying around, who, who even needed the silver? And so, you know, it is, it's amazing when, when you, you can corner the market in a particular commodity, when, you can, when there's such an abundance that it drives other prices just down to nothing, you realize that you're, you're affecting different things. And so this is why governments are very interested in, in uh, uh, protecting against monopolies and protecting against price manipulation and, and price fixing. And, and, and governments are very, and they have of course they have a vested interest in, in protecting their, their economies by uh, uh, keeping these things from happening. But this is a curious statement here that there was so much gold, that uh, silver it was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold, silver, ivory, and apes and peacocks. Isn't that interesting? I don't know what the commodity market was like for apes and peacocks, but um, it just demonstrates that when you have this wealth, and when you have the capacity, and right now the United States of America is the, the global, um, I mean, we're, we're the ones that, that sail the oceans and bring goods and services in from the four corners of the earth. And uh, because we we have the money and the wealth and the, the, the freedom to do so. Anyway, King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and Wisdom And I've read different estimates on this and trying to put his wealth in today's economy and try to you know would he be you know he'd be the multi not just billionaire trillionaire in, uh, in, in the first, maybe the only one in, in human history, based upon the descriptions that we have here. All right, scarcity. I think uh, we see the scarcity there. We're, we have scarcity, by the way, scarcity. Not only does, is it a determiner of value and does it, uh, does it then, the, the bad, bad, good, good uh, tension of, of free trade, then takes that scarcity and negotiates a price. And to, to have that negotiated price based upon scarcity and demand, supply and demand, that, that negotiated price is by design, but it also leads to problems. Problems which is why we have things about do not covet, do not steal, why in, uh, under God's principles, secular principles, the laws of divine establishment, why uh, stealing is, is not only a, a sin in the eyes of God, but it's a crime in the, in the societal function of, of man, of nations. Some of this we're going to deal with, let me get to 1 Peter, but some of this we're going to be dealing with before I get to 1 Peter, in, uh, in Genesis 2 when we have the description of Eden he placed uh, a garden there in Eden and we've talked about the rivers and the different boundaries river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and from it there it divided and became four rivers and the name of the first is Pashon it flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and so you have localities and those localities are blessed with Natural resources. And those natural resources who do they belong to? Well who does the land belong to? Who does God put in that land? The Havilites, right? The the, the people of the land of Havilah. And the gold of that land is good. The Bdellium and the Onyx Stone are there. Well that's great. Great for them. They have an abundance. But what don't they have? What isn't found in the land of Havilah? So they have what's available to them. What's not available to them? What do they have? What do they need? Now they're going to go to war and plunder and steal to get what they don't have, or do they? Are they productive, and do they take of their excess, and do they have free chain uh, the free exchange and trade? Anyway, the second river is Gihon; it flows around the whole land of Cush. The third river, Tigris; uh, fourth river, Euphrates. Anyway, Eden has the garden. So based upon the different places, the natural resources that he puts there, including minerals, including uh, water, including uh, food production, all these things, the people of those lands then have the opportunity to be productive and then to freely give of what is their own. More on that when we get to Genesis. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is my favorite passage. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. And it uses the word perishable not precious. Perishable. We think of precious metals. We think about the value of silver and gold and and precious metals as a commodity and and as a a, uh, a storehouse of wealth. And and God doesn't call them precious, He calls them perishable. From your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Here's what He does call precious. With the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. That's what redeemed you. See, and and humans come along and they, they call mammon, the wealth of mammon, they call that precious. And, uh, and they compromise their lives and they, they, I mean the things people do for money and uh, failing to realize that it's, it's perishable as everything else. What's precious is the blood of Christ that redeemed you and me from the slave market of sin. What's precious is you and me in the sight of God, choice and precious in the sight of God. And we are the, the precious stones in His temple that He's crafting, that He's placing us in for His glory and good pleasure. I like the contrast between perishable and precious there in verses 18 and 19. Because we take the word precious and we attach it to the silver and gold. God doesn't do that. He puts precious and attaches it to Jesus and attaches it to us. The lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So we have scarcity. We have scarcity. All right. what else do we have? There is gold and an abundance of jewels by the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. It's because of scarcity. Then verse 16, Take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Debt obligations. Debt obligations are terrible with personal, family, and national consequences. Debt obligations are terrible with personal, family, and national consequences. Again, I think it's a useful thing having just contrasted the give and take of the buyer and seller in financial negotiations and having just contrasted the the relative scarcity and worth of doctrine as opposed to dollars, of earthly wealth as opposed to heavenly wealth, the wisdom of God through His Word. We then have the, the tragedy of being so indebted in, in earthly finances. What does that reflect? Not only are you earthly, you're indebted in earthly finances, but probably that's a reflection that you don't have a lot of spiritual wisdom either. You know, if you were if you were a uh, a mature believer, just swimming in the wealth of Bible doctrine, then you would have expressed that through uh, in, in the application of your of your walk. You wouldn't have been been so foolish as to become surety for a stranger. All right. Not in every case. Again we're talking in, in broad generalizations. Proverbs teaches the normal. Proverbs teaches what generally is true for those that are walking in wisdom. Recognize of course there are ex- uh, exceptions to the rule. There's circumstances where you know, things are out of your control and God is testing you with, with debt or He's testing you with, with poverty. But He's made provision by the way. And even in poverty You don't have to become enslaved to a stranger. He's got a system designed whereby you have a, uh, in Israel it was their families, clans and tribes and and the nation. Uh, In in the church age it's the body of Christ. We have one another to provide for one another and love for one another. So to become uh, uh, surety for a stranger and held in pledge for a foreigner there's no excuse for that. What are you doing that for? That's open defiance against the, the, the Word of God. As we've seen several times. Alright, so these debt obligations, they're terrible. And scripture warns us you know, to owe nothing to any man but to love one another. And, and the idea when you're in debt you're a slave. And your creditor, you're creditor, you're the slave to the, to the creditor. Personal, family, and national consequences, and they're all in view here. This one verse has all of them, um, because we have strangers and we have foreigners in the same verse. We have uh, the design that uh, that we've seen in Proverbs six and elsewhere related to uh, the the nature of the, the the family and the clan that are there to to uh, redeem these things. This is the doctrine from the Book of Ruth, by the way, where the near kinsman is able to redeem. The uh, the the property the lost uh, possessions of the of the family. This theme was introduced in childhood, and it's repeated and repeated reminders have been given in adult capacity. Proverbs twenty is not the first time we've talked about debt, talked about being surety, talk about actually inappropriate business relationships where you sign your name to his risky scheme. Why are you doing that? For a stranger, for a foreigner. I do think "foreigner" is the best rendering here. There's, uh, and depending on what Bible you have, uh, you might have a, a strange woman or a harlot there. Um, this verse is is parallel to to one in Proverbs twenty three, and there's manuscript questions if uh, how it's to be read as opposed to how it's written. Uh, we'll let that go for the moment, but. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it translated as foreigners and we'll leave it translated as strangers. And, uh, and the fact is, is that we're not to be unequally yoked. Israel is not to be unequally yoked and the church is not to be unequally yoked. And so these these damaging uh, bonds that we put ourselves under especially when we become the surety, when we become the, uh, the you know, we're the cosigner on somebody else's debt. Why are we doing that? And for whom are we willing to do that? See? Now I expect, uh, you know, if, and I think biblically, um, you know, related to your family, your immediate family, your, your child is trying to get a car and he's never had a car before, and, and so I get that. All right? And uh, that's, uh, that's not, you know, uh, an, an inappropriate thing, biblically or, or, or any other way. Anyway. Dave Ramsey would say, of course, no, work with him to get the savings and then he can pay cash and he can negotiate and get the better price instead of financing it through uh, whoever he's financing it with. All right, this theme was introduced in childhood. Let's turn to Proverbs 6, we don't have a lot of time left. But then notice, comes back again in the adult capacity, chapter 11, chapter 17, chapter 20, chapter 22, Again and again and again, God keeps pounding this point home. Something that tells me that if He's going to say something over and over and over again, there's a reason for it. That uh, it's it's an important deal. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given pledge for a stranger, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Now yes, we're supposed to love your neighbor, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. But loving your neighbor is not being unequally yoked with him and and, uh, becoming his surety, becoming his pledge. My question is, what, what family is this neighbor a part of? What clan is this neighbor a part of? Why is his family not business partners with him? Why is it that he's turning to me? instead of His family. That's a, that's a big red flag. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Wow. That's pretty serious. <laughs> when Scripture says, go save yourself, that stands out because most of the Bible says you can't save yourself. Jesus is your Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. So for for eternal life in Christ and payment of your sins, Obviously nobody can save themselves. But to use language like this, this go save yourself imperative that's not accidental. And he's using that in a very blunt way, in a very um, forceful way to to wake up a a believer that says, wow I am in a a debt bondage here, I'm I'm linked together in a terrible thing and I've got to get out of it i got to get out of it. Somehow I've got to break this contract. Somehow I've got to be free from this. And whatever it takes. Which is extraordinary. Because in most circumstances your yes is supposed to be yes, your no is supposed to be no, you don't want to take a vow. You don't, you've given your word, now you're trapped. You're financially enslaved to this neighbor and you're in trouble. So do this then my son and deliver yourself. Since you've become, you have come into the hand of your neighbor go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Whatever it takes. Your pride is, you can't have pride in this. You're just completely humiliated. Humble yourself, importune your neighbor, beg. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Today is not too soon. Do it now as quick as you can, get out from that debt, get out from that contract, get out from that duty, that obligation, whatever it takes. And do you take a hit for it? Do you take a financial loss? Whatever it takes. You shouldn't have been in this spot in the first place. Get out of it now. Because the, the damage done, the longer it goes, is going to be even worse. Okay? So st- stop the bleeding, cut it now, get get free. That's quite a warning. And uh, the language there is severe. We taught that back in the chapter 6. And so then it comes back again and so in, in chapters 1-9 through nine, you understand that's the parental wisdom portion of the book. These are parents that are pleading with their children, giving the principles, saying my son, my son, and all of that. This is what you learn in childhood. These are the principles that you glean. Then in chapters 10 and following, Proverbs 10-24 through 24 is that you're now in an adult capacity. You're standing before the Lord in society to to function in wisdom or not function in wisdom. And so again and again and again we have this principle restated. Proverbs 11.15 He who is guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it. But he who hates being a guarantor is secure. Why are you the guarantor? And especially for a stranger. Again, God has designed Israel to function within their families, within their clans, within their tribes, and so things are kept close and then normally, those things are kept close they're they're strengthened by marriage ties they're strengthened by uh, the negotiations between families and clans as sons and daughters are given in marriage, and so the uh, the mutual productivity of a clan and a tribe. Uh, can help to absorb some of the individual losses of the uh, of individual families or, or knuckleheads making bad choices. Okay, and then knuckleheads making bad choices can be, you know, dealt with by a friendly uncle or a, <laughs> a father with wisdom, a patriarch that 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 you know disciplines the young man and says, "Hey, quit doing those things. Make better choices." And things are kept local. Things are kept close. Not for a stranger, not for a, a foreigner. Not for a harlot. I'm uh, almost out of time and I stole two minutes from you last week. I remember that. I'm going to not, uh, not go over this week. I should quit now to give you one of those two minutes back. Alright. Proverbs 17 and 18 and Proverbs 22 verses 26 and 27. We'll pick up here next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, thank You for Your truth. Thank You for Your faithfulness. Continue to bless this series and give wisdom, Father. If, if we do it through the Bible year in 2022, then Proverbs will be put on hold. Uh, everything will be put on hold. Genesis will be put on hold. Father, uh, it's, in your, it's in Your hands, and we're humbling ourselves. Uh, the more we think about it, the more we prepare it. It gets exciting. So Father, uh, feed that excitement, if that's the zeal that You would have put forth. And uh, just thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.